last week, last week we saw that in Christ, believing in Christ, we are holy and beloved. Do you remember that? Last week, your, your identity, my identity in Christ is one who is holy and beloved. What we see today is the second of a confession that John the Baptist made. You see, if this was a TV crew, we've seen John the Baptist in John chapter 1. And in that time, John the Baptist made a confession. As Jesus came walking along, John was with a number of his disciples. And walking by is Jesus, and he makes this confession, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This first confession, this key confession, one we would be wise to build our lives upon. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And two of his disciples, two of John the Baptist's disciples who came to prepare the way for the Messiah, the way for Jesus, two of them leave and follow after John the Baptist. And that's the last we've seen of John the Baptist. The camera crew has followed Jesus then. So the camera crew was with John the Baptist in the Gospel of John, and now that Jesus is moving along, the camera crew follows Jesus as we've been following after him for the last two months. And now the camera swings back around to John the Baptist. John the Baptist and his disciples have not seen Jesus and his disciples for some time. So while John the Baptist is doing what he is supposed to be doing, he is baptizing, baptizing those in repentance, calling Judea to repentance, calling Israel to repentance in preparation for the Messiah is to come. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They're baptizing a baptism of repentance in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And as they look over on the hillside over here, they see Jesus and his disciples. And they see Jesus' disciples are baptizing and a number of John's disciples look out and they see them. And they're moved, what believes, what appears to be with jealousy. They're moved to jealousy and they come to John the Baptist. Because those to whom they were baptizing, a baptism of repentance, a, a, repentance is a change of mind leading to a change of action. It's a, it's a U-turn. It's a changing of allegiance. The people that they're baptizing are leaving in masses. This is a place, as, uh, as was read for us, where there was a lot of water, so this is the perfect place to do this. These people are leaving, and they're going out to Jesus' disciples. And John the Baptist's disciples seem to be moved to jealousy, and they come to John, their teacher, their discipler, and they say, what do we do with this? And John gives them, in verse 30, and gives us, this second great confession. Behold, he, that one over there, he must increase, but I must decrease. For John the Baptist's disciples, his disciples, his extensions of his ministry, it meant the same for them. We must decrease, he, they must increase. Two confessions, just as we saw last week. Two identity markers that are to swallow up the believer. To understand that you and I, in Christ, by belief in Christ, we are holy and beloved. Now this morning we see two confessions from John the Baptist. We'd be wise to grasp with our very souls. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus. And He is one who must increase. 
but I must decrease. So, as we aim to build our lives upon these confessions, we're going to note first in verse 22 through 26 that disciples get to process life by way of their teacher. In a moment, after we walk through some basic observations that the text gives us, that I think I would be robbing you if we didn't spend time talking about them, we're going to spend time, the rest of the time after this, just a short segment, we're going to spend time unpacking what would it look like? What's this look like to, to be a people who are building our lives upon this twofold confession that Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and secondly, He must increase, but we must decrease. So before we do that, before we discuss the three sides of that triangle, if you will, that help us to understand better what does it mean to live a life as one who is aiming to decrease, that he may increase, we want to understand this observation we see from Jesus' disciples and from John the Baptist's disciples, that disciples get to process life by way of their teacher. This is a key component of what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to be a learner, a student of Jesus. It means... And we get to process life by way of our teacher. That's what John the Baptist's disciples do. That's what Jesus' disciples do. For in chapter 4, verse 2, what Ben's going to unpack for us next week, an incredible text when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. In chapter 4, verse 2, it says that Jesus hadn't baptized anybody. So what the disciples, though, of John the Baptist are doing when they look out over here, I mean, within eyesight, and perhaps within, within a distance to be able to hear, they look and say, Jesus is doing this, but Jesus isn't baptizing, Jesus' disciples are baptizing. But the disciples of Jesus are an extension of Jesus' ministry. That's what a disciple is, a follower of. It's not just they're just not gaining knowledge for a test, they're learning to live, they're aiming obedience, they're aiming to process life through the eyes and the mind of their teacher. That's what a disciple is. So Jesus' disciples are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're doing what Jesus called them to do. They're, they're baptizing. Jesus physically isn't baptizing anyone, but His disciples in obedience to Jesus are doing that. John the Baptist's disciples are being good disciples here. His disciples are being good disciples because they can't help but see all the people that they've been interacting with, and many of them they are being baptized, the baptism of repentance, and they're leaving. They're no longer following John the Baptist. They're no longer hearing his teachings he was giving. They're leaving and they're following over there. They're walking over there and they're following him. And their hearts are sparked to jealousy. And they come to their teacher, John the Baptist. And yes, their jealousy is not rightly placed. It seems to be selfish jealousy. But they did what a good disciple does. They go to their teacher with what they observe. Friends, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, that's the mark of our life to claim the name of Christ, to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is, is not to be perfect. But it is to go to the head. It's to go to our teacher. To go to Jesus with everything with emotions that boil up, with observations that we make, with confounding situations, with grief, with every component of life. Just like John the Baptist's disciples came and approached him and said, what do we do with this? And John the Baptist told them not to give an answer, but disciples are to take on the minds of their teacher, to process life through the eyes of their teacher. 
And so John the Baptist is going to give the answer he gives them, not simply so that they will say, oh, thank you, John, for your perspective, but as disciples of John the Baptist, they are then to take on the mind of John the Baptist. That's what we have at the very beginning, that disciples get to process life by way of their teacher. That is the gift that God gives us in life as followers of Jesus, as Christians. We get to, listen, we get to process all of life through and with Jesus. And so how tragic it is when a believer chooses to do things on their own. But John the Baptist's disciples are good disciples. They could have been moved to jealousy and then went over there and started heckling. They could have went and and tried to take matters into their own hands and stopped them. But they didn't. Emotions boil up, and what did they do? They went right to their teacher. They went right to the Lord. So a point of application before we walk into really grasping this triangle of what is it to, to take on this confession of He must increase, we must decrease. What a point of wisdom for us to be a praying people right away to go to the Lord in prayer. When we give counsel to brothers and sisters in Christ, when they come to you for counsel, right away the first thing to be able to ask, one of the first things to be able to ask is, hey, can I ask, have you prayed about this yet? And whether it's yes or no, the second thing to be, I know we haven't prayed about this yet, I'm just hearing this. Can we talk to the Lord about this first before we go any further? To take them to their teacher to take them to the teacher, to invite the Lord into the conversation, to guide the mind and guide the heart. To be a good disciple is to go to the teacher. So when someone comes to you for guidance or instruction, we ought to take them first to the teacher in prayer. So, disciples get to process life by way of the teacher. Then, what does it mean to take on a life that we see John the Baptist takes of building a life around he must increase, we must decrease? The confession... Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and now He must increase, I must decrease. What does it mean? It means, second, that the clear our way to the teacher, the clear the way with our teacher. I'm going to unpack that in a moment, but just like we said, John the Baptist's disciples were good disciples in that they did what they were supposed to do. They went to their teacher. So too, the application for us is, Being faithful disciples, abiding in the Lord, is to go right to the Lord before we go forward. Because to go forward really is to go first to the Lord. So the clearer our way to the teacher, the clearer the way with our teacher. John the Baptist's disciples would not have been good disciples if they went to take matters into their own hands and then went to John the Baptist to share what they did. They went right to the teacher. This is what we pray, God, would you ingrain this into our, our hearts. Would you renew this into our minds, a a reflex of going to our teacher to process life, to process emotions, to process the confounding things of life, and even the sweet things. So let's look at the first of this triangle, if you will, of what we're aiming for, what we're praying for, to be a people who are decreasing that he may increase. And there's three sides to the triangle. Here's your spoiler alert. The first side right here is the perspective. We're asking God for a new perspective a new perspective, a new way of understanding. To say, Jesus, to truly say, Jesus, I want you to increase and me to decrease, is to say, I want a new perspective. And secondly, is to say, I want a new purpose. I don't want to be the authority of the purpose of my life. I need a new purpose. 
I want my purpose, me decreasing, you increasing. And then third, if you're an alliteration person, you might say a new pulse. If you're not, just say a new life. I need a new life. A new perspective, a new purpose, and a new life. Let's look at the first of those together. Verse 27 and 29, we note that a new perspective, meaning what for the disciples of John the Baptist, for them when they received the new perspective, was what was once producing jealousy could begin producing joy. What was once producing jealousy in their hearts and minds was meant to produce joy. The same circumstance, the same thing that they see is the same thing that John the Baptist sees. He's not blind. He sees them all leaving. He hears them leaving. He's watching them leave. That's why he says, he over there, he must increase, I must decrease. He's able to make this claim it's the same circumstance that's causing his disciples to be embittered, is causing John the Baptist to be filled with joy. Because he rightly understands who Jesus is. A Psalm 24.1, a Psalm of David, we're told the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for He has founded and established it. All the earth is the Lord's. John the Baptist knows this. All of and every one. The Lord has claim on them because it's all His. No one's self-sustaining. All is the Lord's. John the Baptist knows this and he sees the people leaving. And what the disciples see as a fear-filling moment of loss and grief, John the Baptist sees a wedding taking place. He sees a groom over there, and he sees a bride coming to the groom. And he is filled with joy. The joy that was John the Baptist was to be the joy that is his disciples' joy. That's why Jesus tells them this. Or that's why, I'm sorry, that's why John the Baptist tells his disciples this. He didn't just simply want to know, this is how I'm processing and getting through this grief of losing all these people. He's telling them this because this is the truth. The right perspective is John the Baptist's perspective. He's telling them this so that the joy of the disciples of John the Baptist would be made complete. They would see their role. What's the role that they say? The role that they're to fulfill is that of what John the Baptist says is as a friend of the groom. He said, we're like the best men. In that culture, the best men had a purpose of preparing the task, making sure everything happened the way it was supposed to happen that day. Everything went according to plan. Now, we've already seen one wedding situation. Remember Jesus' first miracle of water to wine? We've already seen one of those Wedding examples. I don't think there's an accident here that John the Baptist uses this example. We know this is the ultimate purpose of marriage, to reflect Christ in the church. He loving himself and laying his life down for her. To which he will do later on in this book. But he looks and he says, I am a friend of the groom. We have worked. The Lord has been upon me since I was in my mother's womb. He stirred as he was in Elizabeth's womb. John the Baptist had prepared them for this moment, calling them to repentance to expect the one who will come baptized in water and spirit. 
and he sees them leaving, and he sees a wedding situation. And in that culture, there was a unique responsibility to the groom. That is not in our culture. And it meant that when the wedding was official official, the groom would call that out. Everything was official official. I'm not going to be more graphic than that. And he says, so the joy that everything, all the work that he did was, was not in vain. That They're officially, officially married, married. The joy that I would have for my friend that I love, that's the joy that I have as I watch the people leave and go after him. And the disciples were missing out on the joy of the moment because they were so entrapped in their limited purpose. Their purpose was good, and we'll talk about purpose more in just a moment. Their purpose was good, and it was literally from God. But what they needed was to gain a right perspective of reminder of who Jesus is. How dangerous it is in life to go through life like bitter bridesmaids. You could say bitter groomsmen. I don't want to, I'm just, that alliteration worked better for my statement there. I'm sure there's bitter groomsmen out there too. But John the Baptist says, why are you bitter? Why are you jealous? This is beautiful and this is why we're here. This is why I'm here. And as you as my disciple, this is why you're here. We're here to prepare the way for this beautiful marriage ceremony that's happening. We should be rejoicing. You should be moved to tears of joy. And in this perspective, he's, he's hoping certainly that the bitter seeds that were just there would be uprooted right away. As I wrestled with this text this week, I, what a point of conviction. If you only knew how often I could be moved to jealousy to see the Lord blessing and working in other congregations. And you look at your own identity and say, what am I doing? What, where am I lacking in life? It's amazing how we can make it about ourselves. It seems very possible that the disciples of John the Baptist are making it about themselves. And there and they look and they see the masses leaving and they're moved to insecurity and jealousy. And John the Baptist says, no, 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 no. This is the beauty we've been working toward. This is it. That God would give us that perspective. That God would give me that perspective more. That we would have that perspective more. A new perspective that He must increase, we must decrease. What a joy that is ours. So we ask the Spirit of God to uproot seeds of bitterness that may be in our hearts. Would you make that a part of your prayer this week? God, would you search my heart? Spirit of God, would you search my heart for any seeds of bitterness that may have been lodged in? Uproot them. Give me joy where there may be unknown bitterness. A new perspective and a new purpose. Secondly, a new purpose. Verse 30-35, through we see that He is not only our way forward, He is the way. He is the way. He's not only our way forward, but He is the way. I spoke about marriage a moment ago. I'd so encourage you, if you're married, to consider being a part of the Re-Engage Seminar. It is an excellent Excellent. Marriage intensive. Lasts about 10 weeks. Last 10 weeks. But the application, it's a ministry that's been a part of grace for many years. I encourage you to pray about being involved with that. A new perspective and a new purpose. That's what we're asking for every component of our life. God, would you give me a new purpose? The purpose that John the Baptist disciples has was right and was good. But look, they were so focused on their purpose 
of baptizing and repentance and preparing the way, but when the way was on the other hill, they totally missed them. They totally missed them. They were so focused on their purpose that they missed the purpose to be with the way, to abide in the way, to rest in the way, to believe in the way, the Lord Jesus. How dangerous it can be in our lives to be so focused on our daily routine or the goals that we set that we can be so zoomed in that we miss the Lord. We miss His working. That's what His disciples had. Murray Harris, he's a long-term professor at Trinity Evangelical. He makes this beautiful quote. Listen to this. Summarizing John the Baptist's ministry. Who needs the moon when the sun is rising? Who needs the moon when the sun is rising? John the Baptist knew his purpose. His purpose was not to be the sun, for the light was coming into the world. His purpose was as the moon to reflect the sun to prepare the way. And when the sun had come, he would go. He must increase, I must decrease in purpose. And our purpose is in life. So who would sign up for a purpose like this? Don't all of us want to live a legacy? Don't all of us long to live a legacy? In my library, in my office, there's a number of books, so some, many of which I have not gotten to yet. But it's a mix of three different pastors who've well past retirement, near their death, nearer their death, that wanted to, here, let these be a benefit to you. Take them. There is a sweet joy in knowing that there is a legacy from our labors that will continue on. Isn't there? Isn't that one of the great blessings you think of children or grandchildren, grandparents? A legacy. There's a joy in that. In the faith, as you've discipled somebody and, and as you see them discipling somebody else, there is a joy in that legacy. A joy. John the Baptist's ministry was to end. He must increase, I must decrease. So who would sign up for such a ministry? Who would sign up for such a purpose? See, it's our purpose. Our purpose is not to be the sun. Our purpose is not to be the light. Our purpose is not to be the ones who have life in themselves. Who would sign up for such a thing? Don't you love marketing? Don't you love salesmanship? Making things sound the greatest possible to get people to sign on? Uh, use college athletics as just another example. I don't know how many college athletes are going to sign up to play at a university if the sales pitch is, listen, in three years, you might be a role player here. Come on board. I think your ceiling is probably to be a lifelong backup quarterback. Come on. They're not signing up for that. They're signing to play. They're signing to hit the field. They're signing to make an impact. To be remembered, to be put on a wall. But the call, Christian, the, the, the new purpose that the Lord has for us is that He may increase, we may decrease, that we would die to ourselves. And that we would be a people committed to making disciples, followers, not of ourselves, but of Jesus. That this would be the ultimate purpose with all our time, all our talents, all our treasures, all of our life that God has invested and, and given to us to invest for His glory and His kingdom and His good. To do the good works He's prepared for us in advance. That we may decrease, that He may increase. 
This is the purpose for which God has given us. Well, how great is He that that should be the case? John the Baptist tells us. Did you see that? We are from below. That's our story. All of our stories begin like that, doesn't it? Tell me about yourself. Well, I was born, and you fill in the blank. Nobody in this room has got the story that said, well, I was eternally in heaven. I am eternal in essence and nature. And I was sent down below to take on flesh and dwell among us. Nobody's coming at you with that story and background. But Jesus. Of His essence, He is the heaven one. He is the one from heaven. Fully God, fully man. His purpose supersedes our purpose. His purpose swallows our purpose. And He includes us in on the work that He's doing in the world. He redeems us by faith in Him. The Father in love, as we saw last week, would send the Son. The Son would dwell among us. Live the sinless life. Fulfill all the demands of Scripture. Would teach the words of life. Would lay His life down on the cross. Would defeat death and take it up again. Would ascend to the right hand of the Father. And He will come again soon. And in Him we have true purpose to be and make disciples. Jesus told His disciples as He was sending them out, I'll be with you always to the ends of the earth. And we're told that uh, Jesus, the one who has a spirit without measure, as we saw in this text and we see in this text, the Father and the Son send the Spirit to be in His people. That's good news. This purpose is worth our lives. So even though John the Baptist and his disciples were doing the great work of God, the great work of God that they had done was superseded by the one who's literally from heaven. So John the Baptist was doing a heavenly work, but he was of the earth. And John the Baptist's disciples then were of the earth. But the one came down from heaven to do the heavenly work. The one from heaven is going to do a greater heavenly work, right? His purpose is greater. He must increase, we must decrease, John the Baptist says, with joy. With joy that God allows us to play a part in this story through history. A new purpose. A new perspective. A new life. A new life. Look at verse 36. A new life. It's one that isn't simply a future hope. It is a future hope but it is also a present reality in verse 36. A new life. This is what we ask for when we say, He must increase, I must decrease. Give me a new pulse. Give me a new perspective, a new purpose. Give me a new life, a new pulse. In preparation for this chapter in John chapter 3, there's been fewer I don't know of another month period where I have been more convicted by a text and comforted by a text at the same time. I'm share with you how I've been deeply convicted by this text, and a lot of it is this second time we've heard what we see in verse 36. The Scriptures teach us, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, I'm comforted 
Because I look at this text, and you look at the text, and you listen to the text, and you see that our joy and our hope and our status as the beloved is by believing in the Lord. I I want to be with Jesus. I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. My trust is in Jesus for righteousness and my life to forgive me of my sins and to be my King. And so I am deeply comforted by John chapter 3 with a deep comfort. And I look forward to new heavens and new earth. We look forward to the returning of Christ. We look forward to His eternal reign and all that that will entail. I look forward to a glorified, resurrected body one day. I look forward to, as we sang a few minutes ago, I look forward to no more sin, no more temptation. I look forward to that day. So there is a future hope without question. I'm comforted because there's present hope. As a believer, we have new life today. The call of the believer isn't simply to be saved, to have new life, to be born again, and then to wait it out. With that future day on our calendar, and we just kind of wait. But that day is glorious because we'll be with Jesus. We have fellowship with God in Christ. We're hidden in Christ. That life begins today. That life is today to know Jesus, to worship Jesus. That's the good news that we have. So today, by believing on Jesus, you and I, we have life in Him. Today. He increases, we decrease. We have a new life. We'll spend eternity with Jesus and we get to be with Jesus and worship Jesus. That begins today. Living His purposes for our life that we'll do perfectly for eternity with Him, worshiping Him, resting in Him. But it begins today. The conviction point is equally true. Judgment Day is not a hypothetical future. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In Romans chapter 2, Paul makes clear that those who do not believe, they are storing up wrath for the day of wrath to come. When God will justly, justly pour out wrath on those who are in rebellion against Him for eternity. Yes, that's a future day. The day of wrath, as Paul calls it in Romans 2. But John chapter 3 makes abundantly clear that just as new life begins today at belief, so too those who do not believe, the wrath of God remains on them today. And what they do through this life is simply storing up more wrath for the day of judgment. This is not fire and brimstone. This is truth. The text centered upon the great love of God here in two scenes tells us that the wrath of God rests upon those who do not believe. And they are not storing up good things to get to heaven. They are storing up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment. This text convicts me deeply to see people how God sees them. The holy, good, and just God 
But my hope and my prayer for them would be that they would know Jesus. I don't pray enough like that. I don't interact with enough people like that. That doesn't mean I scream. That doesn't mean I wish we should wear billboards and walk around town. But it does mean we ought to pray like we believe that the wrath of God is abiding on them. We ought to be intentional and faithful in our conversations to want to love and to serve others and, and to share the good news of Jesus with them by which they can have life in His name. What a text God gives us. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know what I've always done in that text? I've always emphasized the last part. To die is gain. But what about the first part? For me to live is Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. Lord, give me new life today. Help me to see people how You see them today. Help me to seek forgiveness and, and to act out the forgiveness I've received in You today. And to ask for it. This is what the call is to follow Jesus. This is the gift that God has given us by adopting us by faith in His Son. This is good news. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. In Christ, you are holy. His righteousness placed upon you at the exchange on the cross. Your sin placed upon Him at the cross. For you are beloved. You are beloved. And as the beloved, we get to process all of life with, not only through, but with Jesus. By the Spirit, we are made new. Comforted and convicted. That's what the Spirit of God does with His words. Like a double-edged sword, He shapes us and molds us. Isn't God worth our life? Isn't He good? Holy and beloved ones, isn't He good? He's worth our lives. So we make it the prayer of our hearts this week. God, may You increase and I decrease in the context of my perspectives and my purpose and my life. Because You are worthy. You are worthy. Next steps. Next steps. Three next steps questions. Number one, how has your life been different in 2020? It's been two months now. Two months are down in 2020. Here's the question. How has your life been different? This is going to take some time to probably work through this. How is your life different than it would be if you didn't know He who has come from above? How is your life different because you know Jesus? What new perspective, new purpose, new life do you have because of Jesus? And use it for a point of praise. And for some, that question may lead you to a point of conviction. And if you don't know Jesus, you've never believed upon Jesus, you've never trusted Jesus, that's today. Believe upon Him. Come to life in Christ. Profess Him publicly. Be unashamed. Mark it on a card. Share it at the welcome table. Share it with one of the staff members here at the front after the service. Believe upon Christ and have life eternal. A second, as disciples of Jesus, we get to process life by way of our teacher. This is a gift. So the question is, how might this inform how we pray this week? 
we get to process, what a gift, we get to process life by way of our teacher, the Lord. How might this inform how you pray this week? And specifically, commit to ask the Spirit to expose seeds of jealousy that may have taken root that you're unaware of. Ask the Spirit to show that to you and uproot that before it becomes something more insidious. And finally, when you hear John the Baptist's confession, that he must increase, but I must decrease, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? He must increase, but I must decrease. Let me pray before we respond in song. Lord, we are holy and beloved in Jesus. That all that look to Jesus, that all that believe upon Jesus, we have new life. Father, in the areas of our life where we, like the disciples of John the Baptist, find ourselves being moved, being stuck in the way of the world, would You help us, God? Would Your Spirit show us the way? We'll be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry and quick to run to and abide in Jesus. We love You and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the joy that it is that You are increasing in our life, that You're increasing in our congregation. God, we pray that You would increase Your presence in the context of this community, that You would bring people to know You. You would save them and rescue them, God. You would use us as proclaimers. God, we pray for marriages that are shaking, God. Would You make testimonies in which they are built new, new perspectives, new purposes, new life. God, for those of us who have been in You for quite some time, Lord, but who have grown dry, would You give us new perspective, new purpose, new life as we're renewed by believing and looking upon Jesus. We do thank You for the privilege that it is to be beloved. We thank You for the privilege it is to know You in Jesus. We pray. Amen. Will you stand with me as we respond in song?